FF Furnace for Spaceman Dave Wright. Guys, I'm having a... Welcome back to a tale of two rivals. Plus one. I am your ecstatic host, Todd at FF underscore Banterman Foster, and I am joined by... FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright. Guys, I'm having a blast talking with my buddies here on A Tale of Two Rivals. We are hitting our stride as far as the podcast is concerned. I'm loving the engagement from the questions being asked. And I, I can't wait to keep diving into these overvalued players here. Who else is here? You've got your electrifying plus one, FF underscore Walrus. Loving being back talking about this. And I think I'm loving that we're collecting the feedback from the listening community. Broadening our horizons. We're not just coming up with fun narratives to troll Dave with. We're actually just doing positive fantasy football content. Well, the best thing is our listeners gave us two nominations to troll Dave, which is even more authentic. Mm. So I'm really excited about that. They trolled Todd in the um, first half, and now it's time to troll me in this half. Yeah, well, four out of five are mine. It was rough. No, it was amazing, man. I was so excited with the uh, the outpour, and we got some great feedback from some great fantasy minds. So people that you really got to respect in the field. I'm excited. And before we go into the question, I just want to give a shout out to River Six Brewing in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. If you live in Massachusetts, get their beer shipped to you. The Pistachio Vanilla Ice Cream Milkshake IPA is next level crap it is so good man yes and this is a back-to-back episode so i've been enjoying beverages for a while now so it's gonna be a good show all right kennedy you got a question for us buddy yeah i thought we're gonna get lost in the weeds of you fishing for sponsorship there but you know i just want free beer i don't need a sponsor i just hope they still get four pack so kicking it off with a question as we like to what is the best toy from your childhood and how often do you think you used it? This is good. Mr. Wright, let's start with you. My favorite two toys are probably Legos, and I'll give you a specific set. I loved the Knights and Dragons playset. I actually even like the Robin Hood playset, or even the Wild West playset for, the, for Legos were my, some of my favorites. And then for my number two, I'm going to go with the classic Army Men. I was such a big fan of Army Men, setting them up and going against my friends, and we'd take turns trying to, we'd set up our armies, and we'd have pennies and launch them each other. A lot of fun with Army Men. And I even liked the video game Army Men. You I thought like that was fun, too. the little green so. guys on the stands? The little green yeah. guys on the stands? Yeah, Army Men. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The plastic That's what guys. I you meant. So the guy that was, like, laying down must have built the ultimate trump card, because you can't knock him over. Oh, yeah. Different pieces had a certain amount, and you could, like, team up your piece. This is how into it we got. If you had this many players, you could then upgrade to a quarter, which was a bigger shot. It was, it was, we had a lot of fun with it. Kennedy, what was yours, buddy? Yeah, mine just, before, hats off to Dave with the Army one one. But I'm curious with this valuation that they're putting on, Dave, the different men and what they're doing and their actions. How did the Minesweeper guy check in? Was he was he So he would negate Ooh. other people. Other, he would negate your throws so you could negate Ooh. it was yeah we got into it and then this is fantastic does that does that include the bazooka guy or is it just the guy throwing the grenade no he would just it'd be so you'd have a certain amount of players and they give you plus amount of sense and then you could add up your coins however you disperse them however you wanted to but then you could counter with the minesweeper who would take away sense for against the other team and I'm, medics I'm would do the same thing game night let's do it let's and then it. also too let's like ta- we had tanks too and that was like that would it, we had, we were really into it. It was it was awesome. Wow, that's that's what shit. Yeah, right man. on. Wow, Kenny, what was yours, man? 
Oh, it was hands down a Randy Macho Man Savage wrestling buddy. Love it. Thing that you could elbow drop from an end table and it would make a noise and just go, oh yeah, go breaking my nose. Or would say something else entirely. And I think that thing saw more time in the ring in my living room than Randy Savage did throughout all of the 90s in the actual reality-based ring. Just phenomenal toy. Hats off to whoever invented it. And I think the second one, it's not a specific toy, but like it's a, it's a set. It's remember the Technodrome Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle rolling yes. bass thing? Was yes. that with like the Turtles and Shredder and Crag and all the other villains? Just unbelievable set. Huge, versatile, a lot of intricate pieces for something in 1994. Unbelievable. Eons of fun. I still have them. They're in my mom's basement. I'm very jealous of the uh, wrestling buddy. I had an Ultimate Warrior one, but it did not have sound. But it, no sound. It, no, he got he got ripped up all over the place, <laughs> man. Clotheslines, drop kicks, getting yelled at for like, stop throwing him all over the place and jumping nice. on the bed. I'm like all day, man. Legos. The story is as a kid, you could just put me down. I played with Legos for hours, so I'm with Dave on that one. PS One, PS Two, game changer in my life. Dave is in the Super Soaker division for Scott Fishbowl, correct, Dave? Oh right? yeah, and that I lived at my out to camp in Maine, uh, Pushaw Lake in Glenburn. We super soak. It was like a way of life. It was unbelievable. The XP one hundred and fifty man. It was light enough you could run, but it, it packed a punch. That was my playing super soaker. I remember that really well. It was red tank. That thing was great. But on top of that, and not the wrestling buddies. It was those nineteen eighties hard rubber wrestling figures with the junkyard dog and the big boss man the big rubber ones that were hard my they're my brothers and they got passed down to me i used to play with those things for hours man those things were durable and they were fun but hands down best toy ever it's not necessarily a toy it was a collectible i was a baseball card fanatic as a kid baseball cards were my life as a kid and to this day i do not know of a single person who has more kangaroo junior baseball cards than i do not a single person I've met. I have, I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say it's over 280. Griffey baseball cards. And the funniest thing is that I had every Griffey rookie card except for one. And I bought it two years ago just because I saw it. And I, have, I haven't collected cards in years. But the fact that I saw it, I'm like, that's worth $5 just because I was pursuing this for like most of my childhood. I might as well buy this for $5. And back in the day, I would have had to buy that card for 30 Baseball card values have dropped, but nostalgia's still there, man. Do you guys remember the 89 Upper Deck Griffey rookie card? It was it like... It seems like you should know the answer to this already. Yeah, everybody does, right? I pulled that out of a pack. I bought one pack of 1989 Upper Deck in like 1995, and I pulled it out of a pack. I lost it in the card shop. My family's on the way up to Montreal. That is a fond childhood memory. Pulling a Ken Griffey Jr. in 1988 Upper Deck card out of a pack best collector story i've ever had by far you guys big car car collectors too i was not i feel like i kind of fell in that that valley of they were starting to fade and i don't know just just never really got into it yeah it was my thing i loved it i wasn't huge like todd as far as i don't think i was serious i really really enjoyed it and i'm not sure if i was much of a collector I just loved getting new cards and then memorizing the stats in the back. I, that's obvious now, knowing me as an adult and stats. So <laughs> I used to love yeah. doing that. All right. So that was a good talk. 
Sean, great question, man. Big hey. fan. Big, big fan. We're on to part two of our overrated conversation. So we had some great conversations from questions posed by the Dynasty Diagnostics. It was a good time. We enjoyed it. Now we're going into Pacific players nominated as possibly overvalued. Now we say possibly because the people that nominated feel that they are overvalued. We're going to determine whether we believe that they either are overvalued, where they should be, or possibly undervalued. First guy nominated is Miles Sanders. He was nominated twice. This is one of Dave's darlings, so the fact he was nominated twice was fantastic. One of the nominations was from at the Danny Fresh. So Danny Fresh is a great guy. He is an editor and contributor to the Dynasty Football Digest. Big help of my SEO work because I had no clue what I needed to do, and that was very helpful. And the other one was at Crossroads FFP. Dave, speak about Crossroads for us. Yeah, so he's a guy I ran into in Peter Howard's stream, at P.A. Howdy's Twitch and YouTube streams. A very uh, smart, insightful fantasy guy. He uh, has a podcast too, like the uh, Crossroads, not Dynasty Crossroads, but Crossroads podcast. And he also writes some interesting fantasy articles and does some good threads. So yeah, so shout out to Crossroads. I always like running into him uh, in the stream. So, Miles Sanders was nominated. He finished as the RB15 last year with 218.7 fantasy points. He had 818 rushing yards, 50 receptions for 509 receiving yards, and 6 TDs. He's currently the ninth running back off the board with an ADP of 18.5. So, that's mid-second round. And, gents, why is Miles Sanders worth a mid-second round pick in startups? I'd be a fool not to let Dave talk about him first. Go ahead, Dave. Talk about Miles. All right. So Todd and his go-with-your-gut type of uh, feel for fantasy statistics, he's not going by the J.J. Zacharyson weeks 1 through 16 stats, where because that's actually what matters in fantasy football with people sitting out in week 17. Miles Sanders was actually RB13 last year, and he did it in only 170 rush attempts, and he didn't become the primary RB until week 11 last year. There was a lot of talk about Philly signing a veteran RB, but we saw how good Miles Sanders was last year with Jordan Howard, or at least how that ended up playing out. So I am all about Miles Sanders this year. He's got the the size, he's got the athleticism, and people will say, well, he didn't really produce in college because, well, he's behind Saquon Barkley, but he was a five-star recruit going into Penn State. He was that good of a player, and he just happened to take a backseat behind one of the most prolific RB talents of our lifetime. Miles Sanders, nothing to uh, poo-poo. He had 47 catches on 58 targets for 500 receiving yards, over, I think over 500 receiving yards last year, and which is phenomenal. Gives you a great floor. I love receiving floor for running backs. It's just a, it gives you a little bit of a, a sense of security. And then when you look at his efficiency metrics and his actual things that matter as far as predicted for the following year. He was fifth in the league in invaded tackles per opportunity or juke rate on playerprofiler.com. And he also had six breakaway runs and 160 carries, which is very impressive. And he's only 23 years old. And I said this earlier, I want to be investing in young athletic running backs with opportunity and draft capital. And then a receiving upside is a bonus. Give me Miles Sanders. I love it. The problem was is the time to invest in him was early on in his rookie season, which everyone who was smart wasn't selling him because they knew that eventually he would take over. 
But earlier in the offseason, I think in February, he was going more towards the mid to late third round. And now he's going at the beginning of the second round in Superflex drafts. So there is not much meat left on the bone as far as value is concerned. I still would take him a little higher, I believe. I have him as my RB8. I still love Miles Sanders, except it's awful hard to pay that kind of premium now compared to a couple months ago. I'd rather much rather pay that then. But you paid it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You paid I did it, it to get Miles Sanders. I did. I am that. So, I'm. I'm that high on him. I'm a Miles Sanders fan, but I would, if I had him, I would definitely consider trading him because the hype is real and somebody will overpay. And that's what Dave did in our league. I was working a trade to get him, and Dave overpaid to get him, which I don't blame Dave. I thought it was a good move, but you definitely paid a lot to go get him. Miles Sanders is going to be a top twelve back in my mind, no doubt about it. But am I sure that he's going to be a top five back? No, but that's what it seems like people are selling his price for. His ADP really reflects his trade value. I think his trade value is higher than what his ADP suggests because the hype is just leaps and bounds for this guy. Dave said it all. He's a versatile weapon. He's a hell of an athlete. Dangerous in the passing game. And it's not the fact that I don't believe he couldn't be an RB1. At worst, he's a high RB2. But there's like four or five backs, a similar tier that might have had the volume, Henry, or higher ceiling for me, Taylor, or CEH. Just significantly cheaper, Eckler. And Jacobs is in the similar role, but some people are a little down on him. It's not like I'm selling Sanders because I don't believe in him. I just want to get the return, man. That's what it is. People are just so enamored with him this year. I would look to move him to be able to cash out because of the hype. And there's no doubt that there's a possibility that he could be top five. But I feel like people have locked him into that. And I just think it's way too early for that. So do I think he's overvalued? Yeah, but I don't think it's anything I would blame anybody for overpaying for him. He's an absolute fantastic dynasty asset. The way that I look at it is I could get a back that could fill in right for him for a year or two and be fantastic, and then I could get plus back to build up my roster somewhere else. That's the way I view Miles Sanders. Kennedy, thoughts on Sanders? I'm big on Sanders. Like We hashed out in the last one. I don't think there's really any competition there behind him, which is always fantastic. Worth noting is that, yeah, he finished as an RB2 last year, but Eagles running backs totaled nine touchdowns between them, which just speaks to how terrible their game scripts were, how bad their receiving core was, how out of games they were, how pass-heavy they needed to go. But Jordan Howard, in less carries, still accounted for twice as many touchdowns as Sanders. If that number had been reversed, if Sanders had had six and Howard had three, Sanders is an RB1. Howard's out the door. He's gone. He's in Miami, and that probably sucks for him. There's nobody here. Sanders is the incumbent. He's the only There's not a lot of threats to him to vulture some targets at all. And I'm paying the draft capital price in a startup because I think once you get past him, once you get to running back 13 and beyond, it's just a crop of guys that you're looking at and saying, well, yeah, they're good, but there's something. Chris Carson's good, but he fumbles a lot, but he's hurt, but there's Carlos Hyde. Not that Carlos Hyde is much of a threat, but that and everything else is tough. We talked Austin Eckler to death. He's right there behind him at 13. Austin Eckler's got some butts to him. And I think Sanders is one of the last guys that you can point to and say, he's the three down back. He's a great receiving back. He's going to get the volume. And in this world of COVID, this is a team that was planning on relying on a lot of young receiver talent to come in and balance things out. They're not going to be able to do that as efficiently as they probably needed to. So you're going to see a lot of Miles Sanders. From a trade scenario, like you guys talked about, it's probably blown because the price is way too high. Your time to capitalize has already passed. 
You probably don't want to trade for him. He's overvalued in that regard. But I think taking him in that mid-second, if you're pairing him with Kamara, who you probably got in the mid-first, that's a pretty lethal one-two that you can lean on very, very efficiently for the next three-ish years. He is overvalued, but not by a lot. And I think I'm still paying that price in startups. I'm probably hesitant to in a trade, but I think he's worthy of the 12 spot. Sean, you know what's great about what I loved the most about Sanders was is that he wasn't just getting dump offs. He was running real routes out of the backfield. I think everyone's familiar with that catch he had when Carson once made an insane throw on the run through traffic and Miles Sanders caught in the back of the right-hand corner of the end zone. It's just exciting to see that kind of talent along with how he's been able to break tackles and evade tackles is exciting to me. And he had the draft capital on an offense that people were a lot higher on before a lot of injuries happened. I'm excited to see what he can do with all the tools in his arsenal. Yeah, the only other comparable receiving back to him for yards over 20. I can't remember what it was, the exact little stat. The only other person that was reliable over 20 yards as a receiving back was Eckler. They were like pretty much neck and neck in that categories. Yeah, Sanders is an unbelievable dynamic back. The thing that stuck out with me, John, is I haven't really thought about the idea of who you pair with him in the second rounds. So yeah, it'd be a little harder for me to trade with Kamara and Sanders as my first two picks. That's dirty. That, that's that is just, dirty. That's incredible, right? That's dirty. It would have to matter what I did with the first and what my team looks like, but that's nuts. I haven't really thought about it from the term standpoint. That would make me have some pause about my take. All right, good stuff on Sanders, boys. Another one of Dave's darlings was nominated, DJ Moore. This was a nomination from Joe at Joey the Tooth IDP. Great guy. He's the content manager for at IDP guys, and he's a contributor at the Dynasty Football Digest. He is the co-host of the Dynasty Football Digest podcast. To be honest with you, if you play IDP and you don't follow Joey the Tooth or subscribe to IDP guys, you're doing yourself a significant disservice. These guys are top-notch. Joey is a phenomenal guy to get conversations going with. So for Moore's numbers, Moore finished as the wide receiver 16 last year with 230.5 points. Interestingly enough, the 12th spot to the 16th spot was separated by a total of 7 points. It was only seven points the difference between being a mid Y2 and a low end wide one. So for targets, he had 135. For receptions, he had 87. He had 1,175 receiving yards and four touchdowns. He is currently the sixth wide receiver off the board in startups with an ADP of 24.5, which is good for the mid second. And his ADP is actually, he was the seventh wide receiver off the board in May, so he's actually going up. How do you feel about somebody thinking DJ Moore is overrated? I have to admit, Sean and Dave were both incredibly high on him as a rookie. So that is fair. Yeah, um, it started a unbelievable winter and then early spring of just an absolute Cold War era style arms race between me and Dave. We knew Moore was going to go high, so we just, I would move from 12 to eight right in front of him and I'd be like (laughs) eat it and he'd just out of nowhere pull off a trade to get to seven and we just kept leapfrogging each other to where we got down to Dave had like two and five and I had like three and seven or something we never once mentioned DJ Moore but the entire time we were thinking about DJ Moore yeah we we refused to drop his name it was it was just it was almost like a Vulcan mind melt of being in on this rookie and we get there, and of course, we figure, all right, he's going to go a little later. So, with who's it going to be? Dave's got that five pick. Can I get ahead of him to four? Because there's, you know, all these running backs. 
and you don't want to take more within the first three picks. And then sure, somebody snakes them out from us with all the picks. It was, oh, it was devastating. It was hard. Either one of us got him. It was and, an absolute And people for it'd be Zimbabwe swept in and won the cold. DJ Moore went four in that draft. True story. And 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 Sean had the three and the five. Sean, who'd you take at three? Who'd you take at five? Sony Michelle at three. Ronald Jones at five. Was not a banner year in the Bender household. <laughs> and I took Darius Geis at two. That, yes, you did. So you guys, Pat. Yeah, I mean he was your guys' darling. And there's that's too high a capital to spend on what you guys were where you guys were at. But yeah, that was terrible. It was it was that was a lot and people of fun for, to watch. I think we fell in love with our dynasty league that year, Sean, because we would spend so much time talking to each other, chatting about the next trade and what we were thinking without saying what we were doing. Unbelievable strategy was involved. But people forget. DJ Moore in February was going the mid-second round or the early second round in drafts. And it was not popular to say that he was over players like Calvin Ridley mm-hmm. and other wide receivers in that draft. But Sean and Call I were Sutton. steadfast in saying that. Yeah. Oh, he got the once he got the draft cap of Carolina, I was oh, all rockets go, baby. That's when we knew, right? That we were talking about the same guy officially was 23 off the board, DJ Moore, both just sitting there prying our jaws up with a crowbar. And I don't think we said it, but we just knew. It, it, unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. It was that's what one of my favorite memories of, of fantasy football, as far as Dynasty is concerned. Yeah. So is he overvalued to you, Spock. Sean? Exactly. No, I think I think where he is is his value is it's pretty fair, and it, it's high in it's high for not the immediate results that you would want. You'd want that Chris Godwin esque breakout kind of year to really feel comfortable locking him in there at that spot. I think he showed last year, because last year for Carolina was a travesty in terms of their quarterback play. Just really sad. I don't think you're going to see DJ more deployed too much differently in 2020 than he was in 2019. But the fact that he was able to clock in as a reliable wide receiver too in 2019 with Kyle Allen and how prolifically bad their quarterback play was and how terrible they were if you break it down in player profiler and you get into the advanced stats that he was still able to be serviceable now there's a lot of narratives that Bridgewater won't be able to hit Robbie Anderson with the deep ball good good DJ Moore will love that and so will the people who have stock in DJ Moore because DJ Moore doesn't play super deep Bridgewater doesn't throw super deep this is a team that that's going to be shifty they've got a lot of very fast weapons that can run and deploy in a lot of different ways. If Matt Rule can live up to the hype and he can get really creative, there's all day for DJ Moore to get the ball in space and to not have to have as many contested catches as he did last year, which he was phenomenal at, which just reinforces the point that DJ Moore is really good. And he was just tied to a terrible, terrible quarterback situation last year. And that all signs point to him exploding. So for this year, you know, six might seem high, but if OBJ is sitting there at seven, I've got no problem taking more at six. <laughs> OBJ should not be seven. Anyway. No, he shouldn't be. And I love that we're all on the same page with that. Right. Even other guys that you want to throw, that you want to throw into that that higher single digits mix, like Cortland Sutton, like Juju, like Cooper Cup. I'm good with taking DJ Moore over all of them. Slipping into the second round, Mike Evans, DJ Moore. Give me DJ Moore over Mike Evans all day. Yeah, I can agree with that. What about you, Dave? All right. So, again, first things first. DJ Moore finished as a wide receiver 12 last year in games that mattered for fantasy football. He was a wide receiver 12. 
And he did this at 22 years old, like Sean hammered home with Kyle Allen throwing him the ball. I like Sean's pitch here. Not only am I going to like get you in the door here with a pitch, I'm going to make sign, seal, and deliver DJ Moore to you and why he is even a better value than wide receiver six. And that is because only nine players since 2000 have had a wide receiver one season at age 22. And they are phenomenal players. I'm not going to go through and list them all. However, they're OBJ, unbelievable OBJ? players. OBJ, at, wow. at yeah, he was, he was one of the players. Man, what a time it was 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah, a very short list of players who were wide receiver ones at age 22, which is just mind-boggling. The thing that makes DJ Moore stand out from them the most is all of those players had a lot of touchdowns. They relied on touchdowns to a certain extent. DJ Moore only had four of them. He was a wide receiver one with only four touchdowns. And I mention this because TD rates, the best predictors for like JJ Jackson recently likes to use for future, like a reversion of the mean or regression as far as fantasy scoring is, but DJ Moore should have actually had more fantasy points based on his opportunity as far as touchdowns were concerned. And then looking at his actual play on the field, he was 12th in air yards, 24th in air yards market share because Curtis Samuel actually had a decent amount of air yards himself last year, despite not converting on a lot of them. And DJ Moore, people think that he's just an intermediate or a screen player. He's actually extremely efficient throughout his entire depth of target. Down the field, intermediate, and around the line of scrimmage, he is extremely efficient at converting on air yards and on targets. So don't let the people think that he's just a curl route kind of player. He is a, he can do it all over the field and he had a great weighted opportunity share and he was actually 11th in receiving yards per team pass attempts, which is actually better, as JJ Zacharyson says, is better than targets is predicting future targets. Unbelievable player. And not only of this, he was a great college profile, great breakouts, great draft capital. People forget all the things that people care about. And I think it sometimes as people want to be contrarian, they forget he's got everything you want. He's got size. He's got production in college. He's got draft capital. He's got athleticism. And so truth be told, I'm ahead of my schemes a little bit. I almost want to put him as wide receiver two overall in Dynasty. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it, but I want to. I have him projected as a top five receiver in 2020. So I'm not just saying this is all on age. I think he is that good. I think he's going to be a top five wide receiver this year. And just because there's produce at this age shows what his talent is going to be. Better QB play this year. Yes, you can still get him now at a value because it's going to be impossible. After this year, you cannot get him. He was wide receiver eight in February. Now he's wide receiver six. He's still rising. And last year, he was wide receiver 17. Why weren't people getting him last year? And the problem is, is that people who have him now are DJ Moore stands. He's almost impossible to acquire. I love DJ Moore as far as upside, as proven production, athleticism. He's got everything. And that, and that what he can do with Joe Brady and Matt Rule, I'm excited to find out. Dave, how's your blood pressure, buddy? Oof. That was a, I loved it. I had a lot of fun with that one. When I think of how I want to go out, I, I want to go out and talk about GJ Moore. <laughs> it feels like you got so excited you knock yourself out of the sitting position and you're back standing. No, I'm Are still sitting. Standing? I'm sitting. I should have been. I had to give you a rational take. I wanted to. My heart wanted to say wide receiver one and the pants would have been off, but I held back. I held back. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to I'm gonna be a little contrarian here, Okay. So I feel top six is totally fair. He's my eight, so there's not really a huge difference there. However, as Dave clearly pointed out to me, I feel like his ADP doesn't suggest how high of a trade value he has, where you could be getting a stud wide receiver plus for him all day. There's a lot of fanboys out there that have him as a top three wide receiver. 
I had that written down before Dave went off on his rant, but I still wanted to use it. <laughs> I'll be cool with trading down to Galladay, Juju, Evans, and even Allen Robinson. Because if I'm trading down to Allen Robinson, what I'm going to get back with him for DJ Moore is going to be a pretty good haul if it's to the right person. It, this is all about to like knowing your league and knowing your owners. If you have DJ Moore and Dave's in your league, you're hitting Dave up about DJ Moore to see how much Dave's going to pay for him. Dave's not your league because Dave already has him. Dave, Dave might not. Dave might have missed out on him because he went number four in the rookie draft and he hasn't had a chance to get his hands on him because you took Sony Michelle instead. This is totally proving my point, is that, like, I think DJ Moore is a fantastic young wide receiver with incredibly high upside. And the QB narrative is, yes, the QB got better. It's still Teddy Bridgewater. Relax. He didn't get Tom Brady all of a sudden, dude. Let's relax. It isn't That's your go-to? I don't know. Kyle Allen to Teddy Bridgewater is worth noting that when we talked about Teddy Bridgewater on our free agency move show, Todd Zipper broke. I love him for value. I love him. I love him for value. I think Teddy Bridgewater as a quarterback two on your dynasty team is a heck of a value. I'm not looking at him as a QB one. Like my whole point is people are looking at Teddy Bridgewater to bring out that amazingness in DJ Moore. Yeah, maybe it could happen, but there's so many things that people are pumping out about DJ Moore that it's a great time to be able to see what you could get back. I'm not saying sell him, but I'm saying that there's people that have Think about him as a top three wide receiver. If somebody thinks about him as a top three wide receiver, what can you get from that person that's pushing that? You could be able to fill your roster in other places and still get a unbelievably wide receiver who's an absolute stud in an incredibly deep position with plenty of young players and improve your roster elsewhere for a guy that is based off a heck of a lot of hype. And there's the production there, Dave. I'm not going to deny it. I get it at that age. I'm just saying I would consider selling him to the right person. And I, and I understand why if someone might want someone a little bit more proven and might trade down to someone a little more proven, but I don't think someone who loves DJ Moore is crazy. Most people that love DJ Moore are crazy. That's, that's the one thing I'm confident in. If you are a DJ Moore truther, you are, you're, you're going to overpay. It's not overpaying if you can cor- correctly project the future market that DJ still has room to grow. Yes, you might be overpaying at what that current value is, but if you can correctly project the market, which is a risk, that's how you win in Dynasty. That's how why I invested in Miles Sanders when I did. That's why I invested in Juju Smith when Schuster when I did. That's why I invested in DJ Moore when I did. That's how you win in especially against sharp players. If you're always playing the value game against sharp players, it's a difficult game to play. You need to be able to predict future value. Why not kick those tires to see how high people will go for them? It just makes total sense. There's so many it's such a deep position and you could do so many other things to be able to move him and get other pieces. It's totally worth exploring. I'm going to wade into these rough waters here because I just heard Dave say DJ Moore is a wide receiver five this yep. year. I have him as wide receiver very, four this um, year. And I love it. And I'm very curious how you both just blazed right past a great bet opportunity there. So, gentlemen, who finishes higher this year, DJ Moore or Julio Jones? Oof. I'll go. I'll, I'll totally go with Julio on that one. Come on. First, I'm expecting a 23-year-old player. No, let me see. By 1.5 points higher. 1.5 points higher for DJ Moore. Oh, so you think DJ Moore will finish higher than Julio Jones? If if it's that tight of a window, why not trade back? What are you predicting that's so high in the future? That he's all of a sudden... Eight years of DJ Moore. 
All right, well, that's fair. I'm also saying to you, the landscape in eight years, who knows what that looks like? I've played three years at a time, man. I've told you this before. I'm just saying that's baked into his value. I'm not saying that I'm paying yeah, eight years it. in advance. I'm just saying that's baked into his value. Kennedy's such an instigator, man. Such you guys instigator. aren't going to bet? You're not no, going to bet? I'm not going to bet on a, oh, a DJ Moore versus Julio Jones. You coward. No, I'm already oh, a coward. Good. I have I have AJ Green as a top 12 wide receiver. <laughs> Don't call me a coward. <laughs> then make <Yeah>. the bet. <laughs> We're just Stand by your rankings, Dave. Show some pride in your work. <laughs> I put my name on the line here. That's you're enough a, you're a process-oriented guy. Trust your process. Believe in it. Just remember, Sam Hankey got fired, man. It took too long. <laughs> I love it. Not Dave. It's fine, man. We don't have to make that bet, man. I get it. You're talking about a proven all-time great versus a kid that's got high projections. I get it. I, I love the more talk. Listen, 100% not overvalued. DJ Moore is not overvalued whatsoever. At six, totally appropriate. You could put him at five. It's totally fine. My whole argument is with such a deep position, with so many young wide receivers, and if you have the right person, like a Dave, who's like insanely high on him and they haven't got his hands but on him bet. yet, <laughs> then that's a person that you might want to look to look to trade for. Sean, would you give up a lot for DJ Moore? Like, would you overpay for DJ Moore? Like, honestly. No, because I'm a value whore. I think okay. for me, like, he's he's just he's outside of my scope right now the funniest but I, thing but i understand the argument the funniest thing is this is the most fanboyish i've ever heard you talk about a player is dj Moore, which is funny because you don't get yeah, that way i love dj Moore. so the fact you have that resistance i applaud you sir that okay. that's that's probably why you've won this week once so, so while sean is saying oh i'm being cautious here i am doing everything i can from preventing myself from saying dj Moore is a wide receiver one in dynasty yeah, okay. <laughs> didn't you just say it Dave, Dave, I, I love I, no, it, man. I, I just have I, I, I just have an opposite take, man. I love the balls on it, dude. Like I'm going all in on Father Time, man. Like I'm not, ex- I'm on the opposite ends of it, but it's the same kind of commitment, man. I get it. I applaud you, Dave. All right. Next candidate was Alexander Matson, and he was nominated by Jason Kamlowski, who is a high school principal who regularly displays his authority on the fantasy football Twitter sphere. He is a writer for the Dynasty Football Digest, Fantasy Pros, and at, at Prospects Live. And he is another great Twitter follow. So I'm going to start this one off. With Matson. this is a classic, good old holdout overreaction. Hey, there's a break. This is when you have Matson and you start seeing who in your league is biting on every single sleeper. I'm all in on stashing Mike Boone right now off the waiver wire because he's worth nothing. And if Cook were to hold out, it's going to be a split. So Matson's not really worth investing the capital in it, it takes to get him. So I'm selling him all day to somebody who's a believer. But maybe it's also the Cook owner that's on tilt, and you can take advantage of that. If you're holding Matson, I'm not really sure what you're doing there. Sean, what about you? Is Matson overvalued? Yeah, for sure. And I just, or it was curious to me to find that in startups, he's moved two points for ADP. And now I think we've had three weeks worth of news to this holdout. I know time has lost all meeting in this <laughs> chronosphere that we live in now, but it's been it's been about three weeks, right? So his June ADP has only moved two spaces, which makes me think a lot of people aren't buying into this Cook holdout, which they shouldn't be because the current CBA, the new one as of March, I believe, 
really restricts players from being able to pull a Lev Bell or a Melvin Gordon. There's opportunity for moves in there, but the scope is so impossibly narrow for them to accrue time without being present at the facility or on the field that there's no way Cook actually misses time. Now, it's possible that I think he's slated to make $1.3 million or something this year that the Vikings will just say, okay, that's now $3 million because that's like the wiggle room that they have with their cap space and just say, you're here for 2020 and then you're gone and he pursues another contract. And then Madison has some value. He's overvalued for the moment in a trade because whoever has him is betting on the holdout or at least the narrative of the holdout. So they're going to try and fleece you because they themselves probably know it's bunk. It's like when everybody was trying to sell Tony Pollard in the Zeke holdout. And then what happened? Zeke shows up week one and nobody even thinks about Tony Pollard anymore. He's overvalued for the moment, but in startups, it's very curious to me that he's only moved two spots. That he went from running back 43 to running back 41. Which makes me think that the fantasy community at large isn't buying this. Which is fantastic because I think if you can stick... If you're in a startup and you can get him at 41 versus 43, who cares? Do that because his 2021 value is probably pretty good. But the second Cook reports, that same owner that was holding out and wasn't willing to budge on Madison for anything less than a future second or a wide receiver two and some other part or whatever the offers are, his value is going to crumble, his position will crumble, and you might be able to sweep in and take advantage there. Madison, for right now, 100% overvalued. Might slip into an undervalued thing once Cook comes back and has to comply with the CBA. So that's worth checking back in on. But for right now, trades, stay away from him. Startup drafts, I think he's all good. Like the tires. I love it. He's a stash. That's what he is. He's a stash. Because the Cook situation, it's not about 2020, it's about 2021. I personally think they commit to him. He's too much of an important player to that team. If you have Madison right now, you absolutely have to be selling him. Well said, Sean. I liked it. Dave, got points on Matson? Yeah, I actually strongly, strongly disagree with Sean. And I, I disagree with how he's interpreting it. Ooh. Right now, he's he's a DLF RB41, like Sean said. He's my RB40. If you look at how ADP shakes out, that is right where the premier RB handcuffs are. With Cook, it's not just about this contract situation. It's about Cook's injury history as well. That's where Madison has value. And before you even get to that, Sean, you're misinterpreting the contract situation. Matthew Kelly on playerprofiler.com and his Roto Underworld podcast has gone in depth about how the new CBA works. And yes, Cook is severely fined if he does not report to camp or participate in a majority of camp. But once games start, Cook can hold out. And that's what teams matter about more. And I'm not going to rehash this whole argument here because Matt Kelly is a much better job at presenting these type of things than I am. If you look at how the CBA is set up, Cook can still hold out very easily to get a better contract. So it's not like all the teeth have been taken out from his holdout ability. And with Madison, I want to harp again about the situation. It's not just the contract. It's also the injury. And when you look at a an RB handcuff, you want a guy who has the size, who has the receiving ability, and is a team that plays a RB1. And that's how the Vikings do it. They like to give all, a lot of the, the workload to one player. And Madison can handle that. He's got the size. He's got receiving ability he had in college. And they have a decent offensive line. They've improved it a lot in their draft with, with draft picks. I really like 
Madison there going at RB40. I'm not saying that he's a great value or anything. He's properly valued and that could pay off. Problem is, is that he's impossible to acquire. He's a lot easier to acquire in startups, but in trade, I'm not sure how you're acquiring him in trade. Very difficult to acquire in trade. And so this is just about narrative we've been talking about. He had very respectable in his evaded tackles per opportunity. Eight breakaway runs and only 100 attempts, which is very promising. I like Misa Madison. He didn't have a lot of targets because also they don't throw a lot to running backs in Minnesota. But Madison, I don't think we can just brush it off as Cook has no ability to hold out because he does, according to the CBA. But you're still not trading for him. No, I'm not trading for him. I'm just saying he's not undervalued. He's appropriately valued. He's hard to trade for because people are smart. And actually, I actually meant to bring this up too, is that when people are talking about Dalvin Cook, I want to be in a league that people didn't think that Dalvin Cook was going to hold out because all these running backs going to their last year of their rookie deals, every owner who has those players should know that they have the potential to hold out. Kamara, Mixon, and even though Cook didn't mention the word holdout until a couple of weeks ago, you were an, an idiot if you did not think that he could hold out. And then Madison owners who didn't know that situation, I want to play in that league. Maybe I'm overvaluing the intelligent dynasty owners here, but I that was already baked into Madison's ADP is that Cook could potentially be holding out. No, but I get that. But that's what I'm saying. When you're talking about a potential holdout, you're paying for the possibility of a player being hauled out. And I think that you're going to be paying a premium for hoping that happens. You're literally just hoping that there's just an opening and he gets there. Sean said, I think that it's the 2021 narrative more for me than the 2020 narrative for like what Matson's situation is. I'm just not buying in on Matson as a three down back. Hook's never the played a full year. Just, He's never played a full right. year. But the other he thing about- a lot about, of injuries in college and high school too. The other thing though too is Dave, is like, I don't know why you were saying that the Vikings like, run like run back they did that with cook last year because he was a beast the two years before that they did by committee like it was almost like an even split between murray and cook the year before and then the year before that that's when they had mckinnon it's not like they're not used to splitting it the idea of boone and Matson both playing is not really that crazy i don't think mike boone's even good i just think if that's an opportunity based play pickup he's a guy who's free if you're really looking to invest in this for cheap i'll go say go get mike boone if you have a deep spot and just stash him for a fourth or something, if he's on somebody's roster or go pick him up off the waiver wire, the price tag for Matson is going to be way too high given on the holdout narrative right now. And you're right. He could hold out in the season or he couldn't. I get it. We're ends with this one. So next one was Kenyon Drake. He was nominated by the one and only Eric Flynn at Eric John Flynn. He's been a big supporter of the show, which we greatly appreciate. Always fun to talk to on Twitter and go follow this man. You guys want to say anything about Eric? The host of the My Dynasty Diary, a very right. interesting podcast where he in- interviews people and tries to pick their brain for fancy advice. And I'm interested in what he's going to do next in the fancy community because he's an excellent editor and I'm interested to see what he's going to do next. What about you, Kennedy? I think Eric is a wicked sharp guy and he threw this one down as like a gauntlet just to toy with us. I love this one. So Drake, the numbers, he finished the RB18 and... 57% of his 164.2 points came from three big games. Big boom once he was on the Cardinals. He had 643 rushing yards, 8 TDs, 29 catches, and 171 yards receiving over eight games. He's currently the 18th running back off the Superflex board with an ADP of 51. He's 32 for, for the and non-SF, which I know without QBs is changing it, but that's a significant change between non-Superflex and Superflex, where he becomes the RB16. He's picked where he finished, though, even though he was wasted in Miami. Does inconsistency make him overvalued? Kennedy. 
Yeah, Drake's inconsistency makes him way overvalued. Those three big games might be easy for some people to write off as just saying that every running back has a couple of big games throughout the season. But these were ridiculously big. Over 50%, like Todd said. And if you take those out, right, you take out that 57% of his total. When he was with Arizona, if you subtract those huge games, the other five games average out to 8.1 points. Now, if you extrapolate that over the course of a 17-game season and you account for a couple of regular big games and not as big and voluminous and insane as those three games for Drake were, he is at best mid-RB2. And to take that in the third round is insane. And I think even if you know people want to try and clamp to the narrative of an ascending offense and an ascending Kyler Murray, and they'll point to Lamar Jackson and say, well, look at rushing quarterback and look at what he did for Mark Ingram. Murray and Jackson are different. Ingram and Drake are different. Murray is certainly not as talented as Jackson, and Drake is certainly not as talented as Todd's future Hall of Famer, Mark Ingram. <laughs> And I think having Drake in the third is just setting you up to disappoint. He's also 26, which seems to be getting lost in the whole conversation. But what speaks more to it than his individual statistics, how unsustainable they seem to be, is that what you can get for the value. If you're talking about taking a running back in the third, he's probably your RB2. But he comes with a lot of question marks. To get another running back with good amount of upside and a lot of question marks who's not young you can also wait to the fourth or the fifth round and grab guys like Gurley, bell carson and you can take in the third round a bunch of names like jk dobbins kenny galladay aj brown alan robinson Kenyon drake's statistics efficiency all that is concerning his third round adp is concerning but what should be the most huge exit sign to everybody else is that what it's going to cost you to make that gamble. And what it's going to cost you is potential wide receiver ones, potential high-end running back twos, fringe RB1s, maybe QB1 in uh, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, who's going in the third round there. It's just, it's insane to me that people would make this gamble. No, I'm like all, I'm not all in. I, I like him in 2020 for redraft. From Dynasty, it does worry me. And you got guys like Gurley and Gordon and Fournette that people think are over him. Yep, I'm buying into the Murray narrative in year two for a boost. I don't think that he's going to be what people expect him to be, but he's definitely going to be better. Year two in that offense, better line, Nuke getting in there, keep people honest. The big part is DJ not being there. So, like, I think people forget about Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds is going to play. He's a good player. But I'm not a huge fan of him, like, in Dynasty beyond 2020. But the biggest worry I have for him in 2020 is his playoff schedule because he's got the Giants and the Eagles in weeks 14 and 15. Then he's got San Fran in week 16. So if you're investing in Drake in Dynasty and you're looking at him as somebody who's going to help you in the future, eh, you're looking at him as more of a short-term ad and looking for him to help you in 2020 do something significant. When you get the playoffs, the Eagles is the top 12 defense. The Giants are garbage, but whatever. That's the first round of the playoffs. Then you have him come against San Fran, which is the best defense in football in Week 16. Yeah, he had a great game against him and an average game against him, but I'm not really banking on that as a repeat performance against that D. I'd still invest, but then he's a definite guy that if I'm investing in him and he starts playing well, I'm looking to 
move him around week 8 or 10 to look for a running back with a better playoff matchup. I like Drake to a certain degree in 2020 in redraft. I do think he's overvalued in, in Dynasty by quite a bit. Dave? All right, here. I felt like I was going to come in and we were going to have a lot more arguments tonight. This was one that I had highlighted and I was really excited to talk about. He's the DLF RB15. He's the 40th player overall. And yeah, I'm actually a little lower him in RB ranks. I'm RB19, so four slots behind him. But instead of taking him at 40th overall, I'm not taking him until the beginning of round seven. I am significantly lower on Kenyon Drake. And that's just because of the way I approach the running back position. I stay away from older players who jump in the top 24, who came out of nowhere. And players that you see jump in the top 24 year after year, they consistently miss the following year. I think Nelson Souza, who's a big time high stakes player, lives by this philosophy. Year after year, it holds up for the most part. I just, I'm risk averse. He's an older, he's, I think he's 26. And honestly, what did, besides stay healthy, which is a big part, I know. I'm not going to try to minimize this. Yes, he stayed healthy. But what did Kenyon Drake show you that Chase Edmonds didn't do? I'm sorry, Chase Edmonds is just the running back, the same amount of running back that Kenyon Drake is. He actually has a higher draft capital. He performed unbelievably in his three-game opportunity before he got injured. I'd rather be out on Drake, let people spend the capital on him to take the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, or the tight ends around that area while people spend on Drake. And then I'll invest in Edmonds a lot later because we haven't, we've only seen Drake for a half a season. That's my RB process in a nutshell. Invest heavily in young athletic RBs with high draft capital and receiving ability. Sell them before they get to their second contract or as they, they arrive at their second contract. Don't invest in RBs over 25 years old with top 24 value. And this invest heavily in secondary RBs with receiving upside, with good evaded tackles and breakaway run rate numbers. And that's what Chase Edmonds is. Rinse and repeat all day. That's, that's how I got Chris Carson at a value. That's how I got Austin Eckler to value. That's the way to approach running back, in my opinion. Dave, you know I will pound the Chase Edmonds drum with you all day, baby. I love it. Love it. I definitely could see Chase Edmonds replacing Drake. Drake's got that spot for now. It's his to, to lose. I definitely think Chase is going to be able to work himself in. He's a great buy low. You bought him very low in our league, and I was infuriated. So that Drake's going over Allen Robinson. He's going over Swift. He's going over Akers. He's going over Aaron Rodgers. He's going no over Daniel Jones. He's going over Tua. No business. He's going that. over Tua. That's crazy. What? And Superflex. Uh, uh, yeah. Come on. Give me those players. You were on a player who's shown something for half a season, and it basically came to opportunity because he's, Chase Edmonds was doing it before Kenyon got there. So it's not like he was like, oh, my God, uh, He's some unbelievable, never-be-seen thing before. It came down to opportunity. And yes, he's going to have the opportunity. The biggest thing is opportunity. He's going to have that starting off the season. But you're going to bet over that on Allen Robinson, over over Swift, over Akers, over Aaron Rodgers, Daniel Jones? No. Get out of here. He's overvalued. He is unbelievably overvalued. And I, and I get all your guys' argument. I get it. But I'd, I'd rather overpay for Miles Sanders. I'd rather overpay for Nick Chubb. I'd rather overpay for those young guys ascending, and then get out on them later, then pay for Kenyon Drake now. Love it. Did you guys think we'd be so aligned on this? I thought we were going to fight about this one for a while. No, I was on the fence about it. It took me a while to kind of really work through this, but it it really was Chase Edmonds that was really pushing it for me. And I I didn't really want to say much because I knew uh, Dave was going to drive that point home. (laughs) Yeah, I I knew Dave was going to pound. Dave will pound that Chase Edmonds drum. Much louder than I would, but I'm right behind him, just 
fist pumping behind him because I'm excited that somebody's just boisterous about it. I love it. Right. So that ended a very spirited, overvalued discussion. Some agreements, many disagreements, but always a good time. Sean Kennedy, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Walrus. Checking in every once in a while, probably, hopefully more now that summer is hit and definitely in full swing. I'll, I'll, I'll hold my breath on that one. Let's see, Kennedy. Get on that Twitter more. More banter, more arguments, more fire. I want it. Dave, tell them where they can find you. Find me at FF underscore Spaceman, and all my writing is at DFF underscore Dynasty on Twitter and at DynastyFootballFactory.com. And I'm going to harbor again about the importance of the SFB Potathon. Previous episode, we mentioned about the money. We've already had 11.5K in, in donations, and we haven't even hit the Potathon yet. Matthew Barry, JJ Zacharyson, Evan Silva, Liz Lola. Unbelievable guests are lined up for the full 24 hours of this Potathon after starting July 5th through July 6th, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to the, the following day at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Unbelievable show. And honestly, just hit me up on Twitter. If we've never talked, please hit me up, uh, DM me. Let's talk stats. Let's get into a debate. I'm just really excited to be part of this community. I'm excited to be part of it with Sean and Todd. And it's great to be a sponsor for the Podathon and just be part of this community. Thank you guys for listening. Give us a rating and review and hit us up on Twitter at Tale2Rivals. Thanks a lot, guys. Again, Sean and I also very proud to be part of this team and sponsoring the SF Podathon. We are very proud of you guys' work and keep up that great work and always reach out if you need any help from us. You can find me at FF underscore Banterman on Twitter. I'm all about gift wars, busting on each other, fantasy takes, fantasy discussions. Hit me up with questions. Get me involved in discussion. Always down to talk fantasy football. You can also find my writing at Dynasty Football Digest. I just did a buy low on stud wide receivers i'm going to be looking at doing some more buy lows for now for the next article so be on the lookout for that and definitely go check out the rest of the great writers over there and the guys at the idp guys with the new trade calculator so gentlemen good time as always and we will see you next time Todd said the word fanboys a lot tonight have you guys ever seen that movie yes it's very underrated amazing it's, it's so very funny. underrated it's a yeah, very underrated right? movie it, it nobody but yeah the, nobody have known um yeah the kid the kid from jungle to jungle seth rogan is in it though yeah it's a cameo yeah right? oh it's definitely a cameo yeah, yeah seth rogan's in it um jungle to jungle making another appearance on the podcast yeah they're trying yeah. to go to skywalker ranch dude it's fantastic it's they're so trying cool. to steal the cut to yes. episode one because their friend is dying Yes, that's right. Oh, it's so good. Isn't the fat kid from Boy Meets World in it? Update, guys. We need two more people for the Tale of Two Rivals Risk Listener League before it starts up. Ooh. Two more players. We've had one other person reach out besides us. Hats off. Let's get going. <laughs> nice. I was wondering where my invite's been waiting. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs>